0: Hey, everyone, we're taking this week off for Thanksgiving. I wanted to share with you an episode of the Ecom 365 podcast hosted by ShopAgain.io's Maruti Agarwal. I was recently a guest on the show, and in this episode, Maruti and I dive into what goes into the sale and purchase of an online business. We'll see you again soon, and we hope you enjoy this episode. And I kind of just had this epiphany of like, hey, I can put my, my M&A background and my banking background together with the e-commerce.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the new episode of Ecom 365. I'm co-founder and CEO of ShopAgain.io. For this episode, I have a new guest with me, Isaac. Isaac is an e-commerce business owner himself. He also works with Website Closers, where he helps other e-commerce owners improve and sell their store. He is a surfer, a downhill skier, an athlete, and has finished 23 triathlons. Isaac has four undergrad degrees and an MBA. Now let's hear the rest from the man himself. Thanks for joining us, Isaac. How are you doing today?
0: Hey Marudi, I'm great man thanks how you doing
1: I'm doing great. your intro was pretty mouthful, so you tell me a little bit about how you got into so many things uh,
0: you know like like anything else I guess i uh one at a time um you know the 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 surfing um yeah you know, I started surfing in college in Costa Rica and i now I do mostly uh, wake surfing uh live on a lake and I've, I've been a downhill skier my whole life and I was always liked outdoor sports and that got me into uh, the triathlons and, you know, that was just, I, I did one and kind of got hooked and, you know, uh, it's actually, I think I'm actually up to 26 now or something like that. So, um, yeah, so that that was, that was uh, just a kind of an interesting, interesting, uh, I guess, athletic adventure, but um, yeah, most, most of my time now is focused on, on the business brokerage. Um, so, uh, that's, that's kind of where, um, where I'm keeping my focus currently.
1: So I, I realized that you started your career as a finance person, then how did you get into building your own e-commerce stores and helping others sell their e-commerce store?
0: Yeah. So, right. I, I, um, I started in commercial banking, uh, and I actually spent 20 years in commercial banking and most of my focus during that. Part of my career was in is was in mergers and acquisitions. I did acquisition financing and deal structure. Um, got got my MBA while I was working uh, at uh, PNC Bank at the time, and I just always liked doing deals and putting companies together. And um, that was kind of, uh, I guess, a passion that I had or an interest that I had, and kind of the the financial engineering that goes along with that. But then. Six years ago, I got interested in e-commerce. Uh, and I, you know, was reading about Amazon and, uh, you know, started to, I started doing some, uh, kind of retail arbitrage where I would buy bulk lots of stuff and sell it on Amazon and just kind of, I guess, learned, you know, the Amazon ecosystem and learned how Seller Central worked and a little bit about inventory management and brand, you know, it's time they'd even have brand registry, I don't think, but, uh, Kind of brand restrictions, and uh, and I pretty quickly realized I wanted to have my own brand, uh, and so I started up a pet products brand. It was uh, LED dog collars uh, and uh, and children's toys. I did kind of re- rechargeable glow sticks and you know LED toys, basically, um, and grew that. I uh, had two two separate brands, grew that, and I started to. Think, hey, this is what I really, I really want to do. I want to be involved in e commerce. I saw kind of where the market was going. I I liked the growth. I liked the, um, I liked how I was able to run the companies. You know, I enjoyed doing it from home. Um, it was, it was new and kind of exciting to, to figure out kind of how to drive growth in these, um, in these e commerce brands and just kind of learning how, uh, Amazon worked and how they fulfilled the inventory. I just, I got really interested in that. And I, I started looking for another FBA brand to buy to acquire uh as a what i what i plan to do was buy another brand and add it into my my own amazon store um and and that led me to start looking at com- you know these fba brands that were for sale this is probably going back now four or five years um and i, I looked at a lot of different brokerages and i and i found website closers through that process and I, I liked the website closers platform. Um, I liked kind of the way they had put their deals together. And I started looking at deals. I looked at a lot of different deals, met a few of the website closers brokers at that time. I was, I was working with a guy named Tom Howard who now is a a good friend of mine. Um, and, uh, and I kind of just had this epiphany of like, Hey, I can put my, my M&A background and my banking background together with the e-commerce and, and focus on this. And so instead of, uh, buying another Amazon store, I invested in website closers. Uh, and, and so that's, that's what I do full time now. I've sold my brands and I, uh, now work with sellers of e-commerce and technology businesses to help them, you know, from the planning stage, all the way through execution on their, on their exit, um, we're listing a new company for sale every day on our platform and um, we've been closing transactions you know kind of at the fastest pace uh, in the website closer company history. so things are things are definitely going well. the markets um, the market has been very strong 2021 was a great year. Um, you know we're seeing a little bit of weakness in financial performance kind of in q2 q3 22. Um, I think that's pretty, pretty well known, uh, in the industry, but you know, there continues to be a robust amount of both buyers and sellers in this space. So we're, um, you know, we're having fun. We're, we're working on a lot of deals and we got some really interesting stuff coming to market soon.
1: Okay. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about the final part you stole. So when the pandemic started and throughout the pandemic, and now that things, you know, seem to be coming back to track how was this trend of buying and selling changing in that period
0: so in march of 2020 um and i was just getting into uh working with website closers um you know at the beginning of the pan- pandemic really m a kind of stopped completely uh for 4 to 6 months i mean deals that were in progress pretty much got put on hold um and new deals, you know, were not being launched, and and nobody was buying. So it was kind of like yeah. a full stop. Uh, I think, you know, it was a, nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. Uh, everybody was scared, and um, and so sure. uh-huh. the you know the the enemy of mergers and acquisitions is uncertainty, <laughs> and that was kind of the height of uncertainty, you know, kind of as we know it. So it it, it stopped for for a few months.
1: So I'm guessing that was moving from the buyer side because seller were still interested uh, selling them was selling was in their best interest to counter the the uncertainty, but buyer just wanted more predictability.
0: Yeah. Well, what, what happens, and this kind of makes sense if you think about it in financial terms too, is the, the greater the level of uncertainty, the higher the risk premium and therefore yeah. the lower the price. And so, yeah. yeah, there were, there were a lot of buyers that would have loved to have sold at, The multiples that we were getting right before the pandemic, but nobody was paying those multiples. So there, there was not a lot of, or there were a lot of sellers that would have liked to have sold, you know, at the multiples that we were getting right before the pandemic, but there were no, but there were no buyers paying those multiples. So, um, you know, we, you don't have that, uh, you don't have that point where you can, you can make a deal. And so there, there just weren't any deals going on right then. Um, now fast forward, Going, you know, through 2020, uh, you know, probably um, by Q3, Q4 2020, I think we kind of had a sense that of of the magnitude of what was going on. M&A started to come back, and then 2021 just ended up being a total banner year. Uh, the floodgates opened. Stock market was strong. You know, a, a lot of the aggregators that had come into the space. Over the last few years, had a tremendous amount of funding and liquidity, so um, you know it was uh, it was full court press. You know from the okay. on.
1: Okay, and has that trend been going up this year?
0: Um, well, we've seen we've seen some changes this year. Candidly, um, you know, we have a, a, a few of the largest aggregators, especially in the in the Amazon FBA space, have uh, essentially stopped buying companies either. Yeah. Um, they've run into some financial problems. They've um, uh, they don't have the liquidity or access to the liquidity that they had twelve months ago, um, and so those guys are really, I would say, pumping up multiples in the space, right? Because when you have that type of competition with uh, large players who have you know hundreds of millions of dollars of capital that they have to put to work, you know they they push multiples up a lot in twenty twenty one. And so, you know, we we saw a lot of brands last year getting five, six, seven multiples um, on on the trailing twelve months free cash flow. And when you take those kind of big buyers out of the market, you don't have as much price competition. And uh, on on the buy side, and so we've we've seen multiples come back, kind of to what I would say is a little bit more normalized level. We're still we're still trading. I, I saw a report um, on e-commerce MA and uh, that was actually put together by one of the aggregators that had assembled a bunch of data. But the average multiple paid for FBA businesses through the first two quarters of 2022 was 4.5x. Which is still a very healthy multiple if you look, you know, kind of on a on a five year run rate, and that and that's pretty much what we're seeing now is that we've come off a little bit of the peak. Um, I think a little bit of the bubble has, uh, you know, it hasn't popped, but maybe some of the air came out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's still buyers, you know. We're still when when we're launching new deals, you know, I'm getting a hundred, sometimes 150 NDA requests in the first few days um, from buyers who are, or look, who want to look at the company. Uh, and so that's kind of how I personally measure the velocity in the market is, you know, when we launch a deal, how many buyers inquire about that deal in the first, in the first week. And it's a pretty good read for me, instantaneous read. If we've got the, if we've got the company priced, right. If it's interesting, if we've positioned the, the key performance indicators in a way that the market, um, you know, responds well to.
1: Okay. So tell me about what do you look for in a brand uh, who wants to sell? So, and, and I want you to cover two or three things. So first, you know, what kind of revenue you expect and what, what other KPIs you deeply care about? Uh, and this would be very interesting for audience who want to sell their brand in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's, there's a number of things that drive valuation and, um, and that we, we look at when we're getting ready to market. Uh, an e-commerce brand in particular. So um, the revenue, of course, is is one of the first things buyers look at, right? And, and so not just the total amount of revenue, but the direction, the trend of the revenue. So buyers wanna see growth in revenue. Um, margins are very important as well. So both the gross margin and the net income margin. Um, a strong gross margin business shows that the the products that they're selling are very profitable. Yeah. Um, that may or may not translate to a net income margin. The The operating expenses of the business uh, are largely controlled by the by the owner. So sometimes the case will have a, a product with a great gross margin, but maybe their advertising spend is one of the things we see quite frequently is the advertising spend is really eating up the the majority of the margin you know kind of between the gross profit line and the net income line um and so then then we look for uh stability in the cash flow um you know i said uncertainty is the enemy of m a um and that really comes back to the the certainty or stability of the cash flows because what a buyer is doing is they're paying a multiple on the cash flow of the business, the EBITDA, or what we call the SDE, the seller discretionary earnings. It's the cash flow that's available to a buyer after the sale. Um, so we'll add back things like uh, seller discretionary expenses that that the buyer wouldn't have to pick up. Um, but that stability of the cash flow and the predictability of the cash flow are, are one of the main things that drives the multiple. And so when we look at predictability cash flow, one of the best ways to gauge that is is the repeat customer rate, uh, the recurring recurring customer rate, and that goes to, you know, the, the higher your repeat customer rate, the greater the long term value is of those customers because they come back and they buy multiple times. And as you know well, you don't have to pay to acquire them for the second purchase, or at least you're not paying nearly as much. Um, you know, you, you you spend a lot of money to get a customer in the door of your store, um, and then you want them to continue. To repeat the purchase. You want them to be brand loyal. And so there's a big focus um, on the brand. And if the brand resonates with a certain demographic or consumer that you can build and and, and scale this kind of recurring purchase uh habit with. Um, and then um, you know, then we look at a lot of the KPIs that I think your clients look at, the customer acquisition cost, the lifetime value of the customer, the percentage of revenue spent on advertising. Um, and that all goes into really margin profile of how profitable the business is. And the more profitable it is, of course, the more money that you have to invest in, uh, things like inventory that you need to scale the business. So those things all play together. And now it's, it's not uncommon that a business doesn't hit check every one of those boxes. Um, the, the, brands that check all the boxes are extremely valuable um, and we see those, and those are those are great, and those are fun to sell i think where where I feel like a lot of my work comes in is when we 've got a brand that maybe checks three or four out of five boxes or six boxes um, and then how do we how do we position that? How do we explain to a buyer the value proposition of the business and what things they could do? To improve it and how they can extract value from that acquisition, because you know this is really a, a acquisition of a business is a is a financial transaction. So you're you're looking for some a certain financial profile. Um, every buyer has different things that they look for and focus on, or 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 there's maybe different types of buyers. Some buyers are looking for just the total amount of free cash flow. Some are looking for margin profile. Some are looking for brand scalability, but buyers have different uh, kind of priorities. And and so we have to be able to tell the story really clearly and articulate the value points of that business. And then where we don't see those boxes checked, right? So maybe, maybe we see a, a brand that's profitable, that's making... Oh, um, I'll, I'll give you an example, right? Uh, we sold a company, it was a cosmetics brand um, last year, great growth rate on the business, Um, about an $8 million revenue-sized business um, producing uh, $1.6, $1.7 million in in free cash flow. Um, Now, that business uh, was one that I thought of when the first time we talked because they had grown the business by um, leveraging Facebook and Google Ads uh, and Really, just you could see that the, that the more money they spent on ads, the larger their sales grew. But there was a direct correlation, and the recurring customer rate was pretty low. So one of the things that the buyer was really focused on was, you know, how do you take those three hundred thousand customers that they had sold a product to? Um, they had a, I think, a, a at the beginning of the process they had something like a twelve percent returning customer rate. How do you go back to those three hundred thousand customers uh, and meaningfully market to them? um, to get them to come back and purchase again so that you're not spending, you know, if you've, the average, uh average order value on that business was something like $38 and their, the customer acquisition I think was, uh, around $17. Um, okay. so they were spending a lot of money to get the customers as a percentage of their total revenue. Um, but that became, that became really a focus of the opportunity for that business is how do they improve that? And so, um i actually sent shop again uh, platform to to that buyer this was a year later but said hey this is something that i think you'd be interested in because um they had a bunch of really rich data but i don't think they were they hadn't ever gotten to the point of really needing to use it and so i think that would be really interesting for them to check out some technology that helped them do that
1: thanks for doing that uh this is very interesting i want to learn a little bit more about how the Deal closers work. So, when a brand approaches you that they are interested in selling, uh, do you look at these check boxes and uh, only accept them if they some of the boxes you know
0: check? Um. So when when we a hundred percent of our business is coming by referral right now, um, which is great. And so we we have we usually have an initial call with a with a business owner founder. And, and when we ask a lot of these questions, we, we go through, you know, some of these KPIs that I've mentioned, um, we talk about the, about the revenue. We talk about where their opportunities are. We talk about where the challenges are, what problems they've had. Um, and we'll generally do a, uh, a listing price recommendation or initial valuation. And so at that point, we're analyzing the, the financial statements. We'll have financial statements, and then we're using all of the, um, Kind of operational details and and the specifics of the business model to come up with a multiple based on other transactions that we've seen trade in the market recently, uh, and and that gives us a range or a listing price range, and so we'll um, we'll go back to the owner and give them a listing price range. Now we're we're totally success fee based, so that means that you know we don't charge uh, any retainer fee. I don't charge an upfront fee. I get paid um, when. My clients get paid and we do that intentionally. We want to align ourselves at the hip with our clients so that, you know, our goal is to maximize their exit price value. Um, and, and, and we're not taking any fees until they're getting paid. Um, and so because of that, yeah, we're selective with the deals we take. Um, if, if it's not a company that I think I can sell, um, it's, it's not something that I want to spend a lot of time. Uh, marketing and so, you know, sometimes those are maybe tough conversations. Um, but I I try to be um, pretty straightforward and and frank with clients. And if if I think the the business is one that we're not able to sell, um, there are other options and other marketplaces that that we can sell some companies that we wouldn't put on the website closers platform. But you know, I think for for my business partner and I, um, you know, we'll spend on. Kind of, in, especially in the lower middle market space, you know, it can be hundreds of hours of time to go through the full marketing process, buyer screening, negotiating the letters of intent, uh, and then really where a lot of the work comes in is through the due diligence process, supporting the due diligence, and negotiating all of the the deal point nits that are involved with getting an asset purchase agreement for a company signed by both buyer and seller, and so. You know, it's a big time investment we spend a lot of money on on the advertising and the marketing of the companies and yeah i think we're we're selective and try to be really uh realistic with the with our clients about valuations and um and our our confidence level and our ability to sell a company okay that that
1: really makes a lot of sense and i kind of got an idea of what kpis you guys look for you know uh to accept a brand but is there also a certain price you know uh a revenue range or some other revenue related numbers that you look for that we look to work with brands who are doing mrr or you know in this range
0: yeah um because the multiples vary so dramatically i don't really think about it in terms of revenue or even cash flow ranges because you know a, a small cash uh, a small sas business could be worth more than a much larger um you know, reseller of a uh, product on Amazon. Um, but we do have a minimum listing price. So right now, I believe our minimum listing price for the website at Closers platform is 500,000. Um, we are talking about moving that up to a million. Um, my average transaction size right now is around around $4 million. And we're, and on our platform, we, we run deals regularly from 500,000 to a hundred million. Okay, okay, okay uh what's so the brands
1: that you don't choose to work with what's the most common mistake you see them making
0: um hmm, that's a great question i think in, in in somewhat recently, I think it's been uh brands who have just had declining revenues and um and maybe an unrealistic Expectation for what price the market's going to pay when the business is in decline. There's a big uh, risk premium penalty that's assigned to the to the mm-hmm. price, meaning that they're going to get that the, the multiple drops substantially. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, there's a buyer for just about every company that's making making money, but of course, a buyer doesn't want to buy a company that's going to go to zero, right? So, um, declining businesses are are very hard to sell. Um, and, you know, hands down, the number one reason I've seen for declining uh, revenues in the e-commerce space over the last 12 months is the iOS 14 uh, to, yeah. to 15 update and the impacts it had really on, on Facebook advertising and, um, and attribution. Um, brands that were really f- um, exclusively focused on Facebook and haven't figured out how to pivot away from that um, have really struggled, uh, over the last, over the last year. And, um, and and that's been more than macroeconomic impact. I think, I think Facebook marketing has been the biggest impact to declining revenues in the e-commerce space that I've seen. Now brands that we've seen also seen brands that had that initial impact and then have, uh, recovered pretty well. Um, they've gone, you know, they've gone more into omni-channel, um, uh, paid traffic sources, um, brands that are using influencer marketing models or have pivoted into TikTok successfully um have have recovered, rebounded, and and continued to grow. Um but that's been the nature of e-commerce. you know it's been it's it's a it's a type of industry where you've got to stay at the front end of the technology curve to be to be competitive. yep uh,
1: thanks for sharing that. Isaac that was very useful, and I think our audience will learn a lot from uh, the pointers you gave. Uh, thank you for joining us. This episode was sponsored by Sharpagain.io, an AI-powered customer retention platform for e-commerce.